Hello, this is episode 31 of the Arphology 2 podcast, so hi. Uh, look, wasn't so happy with the audio quality of last week, which is a shame because I did like the topic. Uh, if you haven't listened to last week, do go and catch up. It's about whether Jesus was transgender or not. wasn't very happy about the audio quality. I'm still in the same room. I mentioned last week that I built a bit of a fort out of, you know, underwear and blankets and pillows and stuff. I have built a better fort this week. I am currently leaning forward and surrounded by soft items. And I have a blanket hanging up behind me. So I'm hoping that the sound quality will be a little bit better and there won't be so much echo this week. And um, I won't have to edit out so much echo in post-production, which gives it quite a robotic sound format of this week's episode is going to be slightly different to the usual. Uh, normally format is that I come up with a mental off the wall, bizarre idea and try and sort of justify it. Uh, but I thought I'd have a break from that this week for no other other reason that we're coming up to Christmas and I'm going to try and pull some, some weird stuff out of my, uh, out of my proverbial asshole to uh to to tell you all uh so this week we're actually gonna have a bit of a historical podcast with a factual non-fiction one uh which hopefully will give you the entertainment that you that you desire so it all stems from the fact that the new james bond film is out soon they, they released the new trailer the other day new james bond film the last one with daniel craig as james bond and basically, my opinion is that James Bond these days is a bit shit. I didn't enjoy Skyfall as much as everybody else did. I'm just not a, a James Bond fan anymore. I used to like the silliness of Pierce Brosnan. I think it's all trying to be a little bit like serious now, James Bond. And I like the old James Bond as well because they were sort of used for their original purpose, which was a spy during the Cold War, which was what, how he was written. He was written as a British spy during the Cold War. And obviously spying and espionage was quite big during the Cold War. So he fit, he fitted in better than he, he doesn't really fit in. He's, now he's a bit of a, a bygone era character. So I'm pretty much done with James Bond, I think. Uh, but what I'm going to talk to you about today is two real life stories, pretty funky stories, like out there stuff, which you may or may not have heard of. I, I, I had never heard of them until I, I had heard of them, if that makes sense. Like they weren't in my general knowledge. I, I had to be specifically informed about these. So I'd imagine that a lot of people wouldn't know about these two particular instances of of secret agents doing stuff. Um, so I, I'm going to do that as a little connection to James Bond and, and his new film. Just by the way, before we get stuck in, <laughs> uh, I just like to say that I, I would really like to see a gay, black, trans woman James Bond just to boil the piss of people who hate that sort of stuff. I think that would be really fucking funny. That I, I would get take genuine great pleasure in watching the heads of gammons explode because of a gay, black, trans James Bond. All right. Hope hope you like that idea too. So yeah, real life spies, real life spies. Do they exist? Yeah, of course they exist. You know, it's it's not it's not a make believe thing. 
Uh, you know, countries carry out espionage all the time. And my, my country, Britain's as bad for that as, as anybody. And the Americans have CIA as well. All over the world, this is happening. Uh, so the two stories that I'm going to tell you today aren't about the British Secret Service. I don't think that's particularly interesting. Or the American one. The first one's going to be about the French Secret Service. And the second one's going to be about the Russians or, or the, the, the KGB uh, during the Cold War. So the first one, the French. I can't believe that people don't know about this. I was only told last week or the week before. It's absolutely fucking blown my mind that this happened in the modern era, but it did. Essentially, uh, the French had had secret agents infiltrate Greenpeace, you know, Greenpeace, the, uh, the, the environmental group. And they had them infiltrate them and put bombs on one of their, on one of the Greenpeace's protest boats and blow it up. That, that happened. That's a thing. <laughs> you know, that's fucking mental, isn't it? That the French government sponsored a, a terrorist attack on Greenpeace. Like, how do people not know about that? I, I, well, from what I understand, that people in New Zealand know about it, but people elsewhere, not so much. Basically, what happened is New Zealand is pretty anti-nuclear. I think they're, it's a completely nuclear-free zone. And France were doing some nuclear tests in the Pacific, you know, like nuclear weapons tests, I think. Uh, and Greenpeace were using New Zealand as a base to go and protest these nuclear tests. So the French weren't very happy about that. They weren't very happy about the protests. What they were doing is they were putting individual protesters in uh, dangerous areas so that the test couldn't be conducted, and France was sort of like, oh, fuck's sake, we can't be having these troubles and Kiwis doing this. And essentially, a lot of these Greenpeace protesters were travelling on this boat called the Rainbow Warrior. Rainbow Warrior being a fucking badass name for essentially a battleship, isn't it? You know, the HMS Rainbow Warrior is pretty fucking cool. So anyway, the French sent secret agents, like a whole team of them, to plan to bomb and sink this boat, the, Ra- the Rainbow Warrior. So they, they infiltrated uh, Greenpeace. So they, they, they sent people undercover to pose as like earth-loving hippies. They sent uh, the bomb squads were, were there uh, at, like in disguise as tourists. They infiltrated the port at Auckland and were able to monitor comings and goings of the port. And essentially what happened is the the, the agents planted bombs or mines. They planted mines on on the boat port of Auckland. You know, Auckland's a fucking you know, so it's a huge city. It's you know the the biggest city in New Zealand. And the French were fucking putting bombs in the port. Two sets of bombs. Uh, one to go off and blow a hole in the ship, so to scare the shit out of everybody. Everyone gets off the boat. Then they then they detonate the second set of bombs a few minutes later and sink the boat. That was the plan. So they didn't plan to kill anyone. Oh, look, that's essentially what happened. That they, they <laughs> the French committed a terrorist attack on on New Zealand. They they blew a hole in the boat. Everyone was evacuated, but then the boat wasn't really sinking. So they thought, oh shit. Well, you know, we've got time to go back to the boat. And, uh, you know, to get all our stuff off and to, to find out what's happened. So the crew get back on the boat, along with um, a photographer. And the photographer goes down into the bottom of the ship to get his, to get his you know, camera kit back. Because, you know, if it sinks, he loses all that. He's going to be out of pocket, obviously. And, um, you know, the crew are there inspecting the damage. Everyone's like, what the fuck is going on? How has, is there a huge hole in the side of the boat? It's pretty fucking scary stuff. And then the second bomb goes off. 
So the crew were like, holy fucking shit. And they, you know, do the right thing and, and jump off. But the photographer, uh, whose name is Fernando Pereira, is stuck in the bottom of the boat. And basically, he ends up getting submerged in in, in water. He gets, he gets stuck, like, you know, like in Titanic, when the, all the the bottom decks get filled up with water and, and they all and they all get they all get stuck. That's what happened to him. And the boat sinks and he drowns and and he died. That's that was the end of Fernando Pereira. He was a photographer. He was there sort of taking photos of of, of the protest and uh he was killed by French intelligence agents. Uh so basically afterwards uh France are like, oh you yeah, know, nothing to do with us. Uh, nothing to do with us, you know. We do, we don't even have any agents in New Zealand. I don't know what you're talking about. But uh, with the help of the local neighbourhood watch, which is pretty cool, you know, it's very hot fuzz, isn't it? The neighbourhood watch alliance coming in to help out. Uh, they were basically able to identify that the two agents were were holed up in 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 some place, and they arrested them and found all their documents and their real documents and their fake documents, and basically said, "All right," and then corresponded that with. Uh, evidence from the scene is like, yeah, you were there, your French agents, you know, they, they were arrested and they were eventually sentenced to prison for, for manslaughter. Uh, well, and they pleaded guilty because they did, they, they did kill him and they did kill him by accident, but you know, definitely fucking criminally, they definitely criminally killed him, didn't they? They are criminals, those two agents. And they, you know, so they were caught as this, as part of this huge New Zealand police operation and uh, they, they were sent to prison for manslaughter. Speaking of manslaughter, I always find the spelling of it a little bit. It's a weird word, isn't it? Manslaughter. It's like it's quite like quite an aggressive term, isn't it? You're like you slaughtered them, and the fact that like it has the word slaughter in it would make you think that it means like deliberate. Like if you slaughter someone, the implication would be that that was a pretty fucking nasty way to kill them. But actually, manslaughter sort of means you kill them by accident. Also, it's spelled like man's laughter. You know, there's a very big difference between manslaughter and man's laughter, isn't there? Anyway, that's a side point. Let's let's get back to it. There were loads of other agents involved, so the ones who infiltrated, the ones who were monitoring it from the harbour. So basically, they only got the bombers. So one of them essentially flees to Israel, right? And New Zealand puts in a, a extradition request to the Israeli government, and they go to capture this, this agent, but the agents have already been tipped off by this point, so they've been They've buggered off over the border and back towards France. Other agents fled to Australia and were captured by Australian authorities with a view to extraditing them back to New Zealand. But under Australian law, they couldn't hold them um, under arrest for, for that length of time. So essentially, they had to let them go. And after they let them go, a French submarine came and picked them up and took them back to back to France, which is interesting behaviour for a country which is allegedly not guilty and is denying its own involvement in this. So what the French did in in uh, response to this is they set up their own inquiry, their own government inquiry. So the French government investigated themselves and decided that they did nothing wrong, <laughs> uh, you know, which is classic, really, isn't it? You know, like that's very much akin to the Italian politicians changing the law in Italy to say that politicians can't be investigated for corruption. You know, it's just fucking bullshit, isn't it? And then afterwards, New Zealand wasn't backing down, so they tried to bully them by saying that they were going to pull out of trade deals with New Zealand 
on behalf of the European Union, which would cripple New Zealand's economy. But look, New Zealand was having none of it. Eventually, the French government admitted that they did it and it later came out that the president had authorized it personally so obviously kiwis were very happy about this <laughs> you know why would you be that's pretty it's pretty fucked up thing to happen on uh on new zealand soil you know your supposed allies doing terrorist attacks and the americans weren't in support of new zealand either they were in support of france so new zealand fell out with america over it so all these countries started to gang up on new zealand and New Zealand basically just told the EU and the and the US to fuck off and, you know, that they would make their own trade deals, which they have, and they had to restructure their entire foreign policy because, you know, the French are cunts, you know, and who knew that the French would be cunts? Basically, just a big country bullying the small country, which, you know, happens quite a lot with these sort of big ex, yeah, big ex-empires. It does happen, doesn't it? You know, they are, they are a bunch of cunts. Uh, but afterwards, the, the New Zealand citizens uh, started to take their own boats out out to the the nuclear testing zone to protest. So, like Dunkirk, like normal boats would go, and yachts would go out there with New Zealand citizens on to, to to fulfill the role of the protest and to say to France, like, come on and fucking come and sink some more civilian ships, which obviously they didn't. And uh, France agreed to pay compensation back to Greenpeace and New Zealand and to the family of the person who they killed. And the money that went to Greenpeace was enough. I think it was $8 million, I think, roughly around that. And it was enough to pay for a new boat. So that's the first of our little secret agent stories. France did a bomb attack on New Zealand and Greenpeace with their secret agents. And it backfired. Bunch of cunts. So look, well, now we'll, we'll move on. Uh, you know, I, I can't believe that people didn't know that first story though. Like it's crazy that that isn't a world, like a, a world known story that, you know, people don't know that as commonplace. It's, it, I can't believe that that one's new to me. And this one's new to people as well. Probably less new because it's in a film. Um, and you know, when things are in films, they, they get publicized, don't they? So this one's less new. But it's about the Russians and and their their spying on America during the during the Cold War. So it's called uh, the the Hollow Nickel case because it's a case about a hollow nickel. There was a nickel coin in America, which was found to be hollow, and inside was a bunch of numbers. Basically, this kid, I think he was like a paper boy or something, uh, ended up with this coin, and it just didn't feel right in his hand. It felt too light. You know, coins are quite dense, aren't they? They're quite solid. And he's like, this This coin's too light. So what he does is he, he launches it at the floor. And instead of bouncing around like a normal coin would do, it, the coin splits in half. And all this paper comes out. And the paper has like a load of numbers on it. So he hands it into the police. who hands it to the FBI. He hands it to the CIA, yada, yada, yada. And it's apparent that this is a piece of code. They don't know where it's from. It's just numbers. So they don't know where where it's from or what sort of code it is, but they, all they know is that they can't break. It's a super advanced uh, Soviet code. It wasn't because they were shit. It was just that the code was so advanced, like that you, there's no way you could break it without some sort of prior knowledge of the system. So uh, they failed. They, they spent years trying to break this code and, and they were unable to. So it worked, didn't it? You know, that's what codes are for. If you intercept it, you know, the message isn't decipherable and that they couldn't decipher it, which is, you know, pretty cool. Anyway, so the trial goes cold, and there's but there's this Russian agent, and I'm gonna try and pronounce his name. It's Reino Hyhaman, I think. <laughs> uh, that could be totally wrong. You know, he's got all sorts of accents and stuff in his name. Uh, he was Finnish, I think. I think 
he's a Russian agent. He's a Russian secret agent. And he turns up in Belgium one day in an airport and says, I'd like to claim asylum in Belgium. I'm a Russian spy. I'm currently on my way back to uh, the Soviet Union because I, I've been recalled and I don't want to go back because I'm scared and I'm willing to cooperate with with the West. And the reason why he did that is because he'd been sent back for being shit at his job and uh, essentially that they were probably going to do some bad things to imprison him or kill him or, or gulag him. I, I don't know. I don't know. But basically he was scared and they didn't really believe him at first. But he started to describe, you know, how the spy network over in America worked and who he worked for and how they did the codes and how they, they transferred the information. And basically, this this sort of corresponded with the information from the hollow nickel case. So the CIA are like, fucking hell, we want this guy. And it turns out that he was the original owner of the hollow nickel. And that, you know, he'd sort of accidentally spent the nickel. <laughs> uh, and obviously, once it's been spent, it's in circulation and it was not recoverable. Uh, and he, he was the original owner. So he worked for a guy called William Fisher. William Fisher was a British man of Russian descent who was in America on, like, I think, a Lithuanian American passport uh, you know, under a false identity. And he was basically running a spy network to get atomic secrets back from America to Russia so they'd know about America's nuclear program so they could do that whole Cold War shebang. That was that was what he was doing. Uh, whether he was successful or not is a very different story. And I Herman was essentially his assistant, but Fisher thought that I Herman was shit, like proper fucking shit. Um, something in, in the message in the, in the hollow nickel coin is like, don't send messages that are too long. We've given you money. Uh, this is money for the operation. Don't spend it on personal stuff. Don't include your personal details. And High Harmon would end up doing all of this stuff. They gave him, like, I think it was like either three or 30 grand, I can't remember. They gave him a lot of money in US dollars to help with the spy network operation. You know, this is government Russian money. And he spent it on alcohol and hookers. You know, which obviously sent Fisher fucking up the wall. You'd be furious, wouldn't you? You're a spy and you're, you're assistant spending all your money, all your big spy budget on hookers. But, you know, you've got to fucking respect Ty Herman for that, haven't you? You know, lad just wants to have a good time. <laughs> he wants to have a good time shagging prostitutes and, and getting pissed up, uh, which is what, what he did with, with his spy money. And, and, yeah, obviously he fucking spent the nickel as well. He spent... The, the 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 money which held the codes, <laughs> which is like, you know, what a fucking div. So anyway, Fisher goes back to to the USSR for a holiday or for a debrief, you know, for a catch up with his superiors. And he's like, oh, look, mate, this high armor bloke is fucking rubbish. You've got to get me a new assistant. Like he spent the money. He's lost the codes. I don't like working with him. You know, he's he's basically just he might as well be a traitor. He's he's that bad. We'd rather have a traitor. At least a traitor would, you know, give off the aura of fucking competence. So yeah, he's fucking shit. Let's like bin him off and get me a new one. For the USSR are like, yeah, all right. So yeah, we'll do that. So what they do is that they bring Hyaman back. But he realizes what's happening to him. He realizes that Fisher doesn't like it, but he's not very popular with his boss and he knows what's gonna happen to him. So that's why he heads himself into the Belgians. 
Anyway, he he then cooperates fully with the Americans, like you would if you had had yourself in, and he's then like, oh yeah, so I I know whose nickel that is. Like, yeah, it's mine, but I know where it comes from, and I know who the the the, the network is. I know who the the ringleader of the network is. So I will reveal him to you, and I will give evidence against him so that you can prosecute this spy. And the Americans are like, yeah, that would be really good, mate, if you could do that. So he does. And basically they they end up arresting Fisher, his boss. So William Fisher gets arrested and gets tried and charged for, for treason, uh, which is an interesting charge, actually, because he wasn't an American citizen. Anyway, he changes his name to Rudolph Abel. I don't know why he does that. He does. That's what Fisher's name is now, but I'll continue to refer to him as Fisher just to make it nice and clear. And uh, he gets a lawyer because the, the Americans were trying to like do quite a bit of a performance piece for the Russians to say, look at us, we're going to give your guy a fair trial. We're not just going to send him to a gulag or shoot him straight away. We're going to give him a fair trial in public because we're the land of the free and you're a bunch of dickheads. That's essentially what 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 their reasoning was for giving him a lawyer. But the lawyer they gave him was an ex-CIA lawyer. Well, not CIA, it was the OSS, which was what the CIA was beforehand. And he worked for them as a lawyer during the Second World War, or just after the Second World War, to try the Nazi war criminals. So he's quite an experienced prosecutor. But now he was uh, he was a, an insurance lawyer, you know, into like you know fender benders and you know uh, insurance claims. But he was still a very competent lawyer. And basically, this lawyer actually properly defended him, took him all the way to the Supreme Court because they didn't have a search warrant. They had an arrest warrant for Fisher, but not a search warrant. And the search warrant is where they found all the evidence of him being a spy. So he actually had a decent case, but he lost anyway in the Supreme Court. And But what he did do in the initial sentencing hearing, when he... Look, so as you may have heard, there's been a bit of a cut there because fucking three fire engines just turned up outside and all firemen getting out with their helmets on and hoses and stuff. Although, if you looked out the window, there doesn't actually appear to be a fire. So I don't really know what that was all about, but they've gone now. Um, so you know, we'll continue with the podcast. I just thought I'd let that little cut run on so you could hear the sirens and this isn't the first thing that's gone wrong with this podcast. Actually, I've already recorded this episode, but uh, my microphone was fucked up and the, the sound was all off and wrong. And like someone had turned the gain up, it sounded like an electric guitar, my voice. So this is the second time I've recorded it anyway, and I've had to stop for fucking sirens. Oh, and the first time I recorded it as well, it fucking cut off halfway through. It's been a real fucking ball late recording this episode. But look, you know, that's what you get with... Fucking low-budget entertainment, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, I, I actually can't... Where was I? Um, oh, yeah, so during Fisher's initial sentencing hearing, uh, Donovan, James Donovan, his lawyer, was like, I'm going to recommend that... like, Because this is like a political case. Like, okay, yeah, it is a criminal case, but there's all sorts of politicians watching. Everybody around the world is watching to see what we do with this spy, and I'm going to say that we shouldn't kill him I'm saying it in open court 
we shouldn't kill him, put him to death, because what if the Russians capture an American spy? What do you think they're going to do to him if, if we've killed him? Let's save him, and potentially, and the judge is like, yeah, mate, that's class, what an idea. So the judge gives him 30 years in prison instead of the electric chair, which paved the way for what unfolded next. There was an American agent or an American pilot who was flying a spy plane over Russia, which w- which was shot down. So he crashed and he failed to kill himself as he, as he crashed. Uh, his name was Francis Gary Powers or Gary Francis Powers. I, I, I don't know. His, his last name was Powers. Um, and they captured him and, and they, they talked to him for information, all that sort of jazz. And uh, Donovan, the lawyer who represented Fisher, was the only person who the Russians trusted because, you know, a few years earlier, he'd done a good job of the defense of Fisher. So the Russians agreed to have him come over and, and negotiate. So he, he did. He negotiated uh, for a straight swap between um, America's spy and Russia's spy. So they each team gets their man back. And also there was an additional kid, a student who'd been arrested called Frederick Pryor. He was part of the swap deal as well. So America got two people back, uh, a student and a spy, and the Russians got their spy back. And that then paved the way for that lawyer to then become a proper uh, like prisoner negotiator. And he negotiated the Bay of Pigs and, and loads of stuff after that. So he created his whole career. And Gary Powers uh, yeah, then became a journalist and was killed in a helicopter crash. Fucking bad luck, mate. Two crashes ruined your life and then you know one ruins it the other one ends it and uh frederick pryor is now like a famous economist so you know all there's a lot of stuff that came from basically some fucking kid finding a nickel and throwing it on the ground (laughs) you know it, it unleashed a whole web of spies in america it forced the spy to turn on the russians uh, the Americans then prosecuted but didn't execute one of the spies, which was lucky because they were then able to to trade him for another spy. And uh, Fisher, the spy who was who was released, he then became uh, like a teacher. He went and lectured about what it's like to be a spy. So all's well that ends well, really, you know, apart from the fact he died of cancer in the end. But yeah, all's well that ends well, ultimately. So it's it's... It's a pretty cool story, though, isn't it? The the film that tells that story doesn't tell the exact story I've just told, but it tells a story about Fisher, or Rudolph Abel, as he's called, and Donovan, the lawyer, uh, is a Bridge of Spies. It's got Tom Hanks and it's by Steven Spielberg. Very good film. Would recommend that you go and see it at your earliest convenience. It's been out for a couple of years. Uh, and look, that's, that's it. That's all I've got on Spies. So look, we've deviated from the normal format of the podcast, Um which, you know, it's been interesting. Uh, but I still think, you know, this is a, a, a decent episode of, of, of podcastry, really. I've quite enjoyed doing this one. Uh, look, we're back next week, possibly with a Christmas episode. Possibly. We'll see how I feel. Or if I have any inspired ideas in the meantime. Uh, look, if you enjoyed that, or if you enjoy the podcast generally, then, you know, keep listening to it. Tell your friends, if you have any. Uh, if you don't, tell strangers. You know, Thumbs up, five stars, subscribe, all that sort of jazz. Yeah, get in touch on social media if you really want. Uh, yeah, just 
keep it going because it ain't going anywhere. So that'll be it. I will see you and talk to you next week. So thank you very much. Cheers.